Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Like I said, we're in Mark 4, and Mark 4 starts with a story. Jesus tells a story. To get us ready for that story, I'm going to read from the first pages of another story. This is Alan Patton's Cry the Beloved Country. How many of you read Cry the Beloved Country back in high school? Am I the only one that read this? Okay, a couple there. All right. And um, this is a special book to me. It's a, a book I highly recommend. I read it in high school. And as I was working on this story that Jesus tells this parable, I kept thinking about the opening pages of this story. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe I still remembered the imagery that Patton uses to start the story. So I picked this book off my shelf. And sure enough, what I found there was just perfect for this morning. So let me start with this. What he describes is a person who goes to the top of this kind of ring of mountains in Africa, kind of stands on the top of a ridgeline of mountains in Africa. And on the top of this ridgeline, the the rains are falling and it's lush and green there at the top. And he describes standing on the top of this mountain with the soil underfoot. And then he describes looking down the mountain into this valley. And he describes a change that happens in the soil and in the plants and such as it moves down the mountain. So let's listen to this. The grass is rich and matted. You cannot see the soil. It holds the rain and the mist, and they seep into the ground, feeding the streams in every kloof. It is well tended, and not too many cattle feed upon it. Not too many fires burn it, laying bare the soil. Stand unshod upon it, for the ground is holy, being even as it came from the Creator. Keep it. Guard it, care for it, for it keeps men, guards men, cares for men. Destroy it, and man is destroyed. Where you stand, the grass is rich and matted. You cannot see the soil, but but the rich green hills break down, and they fall to the valley below, and falling change their nature. For they grow red and bare, and they cannot hold the rain in the midst, and the streams are dry in the cliffs, and too many cattle feed upon the grass, and too many fires have burned it. Stand shod upon it, for it is coarse and sharp, and the stones cut under the feet. It is not kept or guarded or cared for, and it no longer keeps men or guards men or cares for men. The men are away, the young men and the girls are away. The soil cannot keep them anymore, he says. All right, let's go to Mark 4. This here in Mark 4 is a story about soil, all right? And that's why this um, passage from Cry the Beloved Country sets us up so well. It's a story about soil. Starting in Mark 4, Jesus tells a succession of stories. We call these parables, Jesus' stories. And if you skip ahead to verse 11, he says why. He tells stories, and he says that these stories let us in on what he calls the secret of God's kingdom, the secret of God's kingdom. So when I come to a Jesus story, what I'm trying to pick out is like, what is this telling me? 
about what God's kingdom's about. Jesus comes in Mark 1 and he says he's announcing the kingdom, the arrival of the kingdom of God. And then in Mark 4, he begins to tell these stories that describe what that looks like. So I'm going to pay attention here to what that looks like. This starts in Mark 4, verse 1. He says, sorry, we read, Jesus began to teach beside the lake again. And such a large crowd gathered that he climbed into a boat there on the lake. And he sat in the boat while the whole crowd was nearby on the shore. And he said many things to them in parables or stories. And while teaching them, he said, listen to this. A farmer went out to scatter seed. And as he was scattering seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow and they sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants and the thorny plants grew and they choked the seeds and they produced nothing. But other seed fell into good soil and bore fruit. And upon growing and increasing, the seed produced in one case a yield of 30 to 1, in another case a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case a yield of 100 to 1. And he said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. Jesus does not explain most of his parables, most of his stories. In fact, in the verses just after this, he says, why? But this parable he does explain. And if you were to go to Mark 4, starting in verse 13, what you would see Jesus do, and if you've got your Bible open on your lap, you might look and see this, is that he kind of goes one by one from uh, introducing the things we, we read about in this parable and equating them to something in the kingdom. Okay, and so Jesus doesn't do this with every parable. He doesn't explain every parable like this, but he does do this with this parable here in Mark 4. And I'm not going to read that section because I want you to go and spend some time in Mark 4. Okay, so I'm going to kind of dangle the the explanation out in front of you to challenge you to go read that and allow this to take root in your life. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you to go and do that. Now, I've spent a lot of time in verses 13 and following, and I'm going to draw upon those in this story this morning. But let me just go and encourage you to read. I said, this is a story about soil, which is not to say the soil is actively doing anything in this this parable. The sower is doing something. You've got birds that that are doing things too. You've got thorny plants that are rising up and choking the life out of the, the plants that some of this seed produces. The soil's not doing anything, and yet the soil is what's changing in the story. If you think about this this story like a math equation, the soil is the variable. And then there are constants. There are things that don't change in the story. And so this is a story about the soil, the variable, but to talk well or to talk clearly about the, the variable, the soil, we need to talk about the constants first, which are the soil, which, sorry, are the, the sower and the seed. Let's start with the sower. So 2020, we talked about this last week. If you watch us online, 2020 was a difficult year. 2021 has not started much better, let's be honest. And in a time like that, as I discussed last week, what we are tempted to do is to look heavenward and say, God, what are you doing? 
what are you up to right now? How have you changed that my life has taken this dramatic turn, that everything's going badly. What is different about you, God? And throughout time and history, this one reverberating answer comes back from heaven. And that is this, I am the Lord and I do not change. I'm the Lord and I don't change, he says. Okay, and so think about that. Just because the variables in my life, my experience of this world changes, does not mean God has changed. And so in a year like 2020, enter 2021, when life is difficult and I am tempted to doubt God, okay, God's response back is, hey, I'm just doing what I've always been doing. And so we say, well, what have you always been doing? Well, in this parable, we believe that God is the sower. And we believe that because God talks about himself as a sower elsewhere. In another really difficult time in the history of the people of God, this is what God says about himself. Listen to this. This is Hosea 2.23. I will sow him for myself in the land, and I will have compassion on no compassion. That's a name. I will have compassion on no compassion. And I will say to not my people, you're my people. And they will say, you're my God. You know, God describes what he does when he sows. And the way he describes it is that when God is sowing his seed in the world, what he's doing is he's reaching out to people who have not experienced the compassionate embracing God. And he's just pouring his compassion on those people. You know, he's reaching out to people who feel like they don't belong anywhere in the world. He's reaching out to those people and he's saying, you are mine, you belong to me. And those people are celebrating, you're my God. That's what God is doing right now because that is what God has always been doing. He's the sower scattering seed. God is unchanging. He's a constant. Which brings us to the second constant in this story. We're gonna spend a little more time on this one. The sower is not a variable in the story. The sower is constant. And the second constant is the seed. The seed also doesn't change in this story. So if you were to go ahead and you were to to read ahead in verses 13 and 14 and 14, Jesus says what the seed is. He says the seed in the story is the word, the word. All right. Now, by the end of the gospel, in the very last sentences of the gospel, we see this clearly. I'm going to show you in just a second. By the end of the gospel of Mark, the word has become synonymous with the story of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus as we see it anticipated in the Old Testament, as we see it fulfilled in the life of this man, Jesus, and for those of us standing on the other side of the completion of Scripture, we would also say it would include the entirety of the New Testament, which reflects on the good news of Jesus Christ. So the word is not only Jesus, the man, it is the word as we find it in Scripture, anticipating this man, Jesus. Those two things become synonymous, and we see that at the end. This is the last sentences of Mark where we read this. They, the followers of Jesus, went out and proclaimed the message everywhere. And the Lord worked, it's the message about Jesus, and the Lord worked with them confirming the word by signs associated with them. All right, so as I'm thinking about this story where the farmer goes out and scatters seed, and the seed produces differently in different spots, I have this temptation inside of me to think there is something different about the seed in those cases. 
But the parable is making really clear the word has not changed. The good news of Jesus Christ is the same in each of those circumstances. And just like the sower is not deficient, the sower's doing what he's always been doing. Just like the sower is not deficient, the seed is also not deficient. It's not lacking anything. Jesus says there is this potential in the seed for an exponential harvest. This seed can produce a harvest 30 to 1, 60 to 1, 100 to 1, which are astronomical figures. And he says that possibility is present in the seed, in the word. I've been reading a biography of Charles Spurgeon. He's one of the most influential preachers of the 19th century those are the kind of biographies preachers read. And um, people used to come to Spurgeon because he was a really influential preacher at the time. And at the time, the Bible and specifically the story of Jesus was under pretty heavy attack. And they would come to Spurgeon and they would say, Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, defend the good news of Jesus, defend the word. And he would laugh. He'd laugh. He'd shake his head. He'd say, defending the word is like defending a lion. He said, better just to open the door, let the lion out. He'll take care of himself. Oh, isn't that good? I wish I had thought of that. That's why no one's written a biography about me yet. Better just to open the door and let the lion out. He'll take care of himself. That's what Jesus is talking about. You know, the word of God has this potential in it that nothing else has. This potential to reach out like a lion and grab us and take hold of us, change our lives. Have you heard the story of Ephraim Alphonse? I think we've got some pictures of him you'll see on the screen, Ephraim Alphonse. Ephraim was 19, it's the early 20th century, and he's traveling on this riverboat in the canals of Panama, traveling deep up into the heart of the jungles of Panama among these tribes that are largely unreached. Hardly anyone from the outside has ever approached these tribes. Their language is completely unknown. They're known as the valiente, the warlike, because of their reputation for violence. And they're traveling up deep into the jungle among these tribes, catching glimpses of these people among the trees. And the, the older missionary leans over to young 19-year-old Ephraim, and he says, would you like to come and teach these people? And Ephraim doesn't hesitate and he stops everything he's doing. He was an engineer at the time, training to be an engineer. And he heads into the jungles of Panama with these people, now known as the Nagabe people. And he begins this slow, painstaking process of learning their language. It's an entirely oral language. There was no written version of the language at the time. And so just word by word, he learns their language orally by living among them. And he eventually gets to this point where he'll pay the kids in the village a nickel if they can teach him a word he doesn't know yet. Okay, so little kids will run up to him and tell him a word that he doesn't know yet. He spends his whole life, he lives to be almost 100 years old, starts when he's 19, spends his whole life in the jungles of Panama with these people to learn their language for one purpose, to translate the Bible for them. He forms their first vocabulary, their first written words they owe to him. He takes what he learns from them and he translates the New Testament shortly before his death. Spends his whole life doing that. Today across Panama, there are churches all over Panama that owe their origin to Ephraim Alphonse. And he'd tell you, it's not him, it was the seed. 
his ministry was about one thing, planting the seed in the lives of those people. So as you think about those two stories, what Spurgeon says, let the lion out of his cage. You think about Ephraim who gives his whole life to translating the story of Jesus for these people. And you think about these guys who were just so convicted by the power of the sea. They just had unending confidence, unshakable confidence, and the power of the word to transform the human life. And I think you got to ask yourself, do I believe that? Do I believe in the seed like that? Um, you know, I think we, we live in this, this era where there is this this great temptation to doubt the sower, God. Life has been difficult for me. God must be changing. God must be doing something different if God is even there at all. And we also live in this culture where those of us who have kind of staked our lives on this word are challenged to adopt some other principles, some other values to guide us, although as though this were insufficient. And I'll tell you, I even wrestle with that as a minister. I mean, I can think of countless times where somebody has been in my office who's kind of made a mess of their life. And I'm thinking to myself, Eric, what are the perfect words to say in this moment that will magically put them back together? Eric, like go back to all your training, all your classes. What's that perfect string of words that's gonna put these people back together all the time ignoring that this is like open on my lap in front of me and the words are right here. You know, the words that could put them together are right in front of me, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> uh, let's do a kind of an imaginary exercise. Imagine with me that, you, you know, you're, you're kind of a city slicker. But you decide you're going to start you a farm. And so you go and you buy this little plot of land out there. And um, you go to the, the tractor supply company and you buy you some seed and bag of seed, and you go out to your little plot of land, and you start throwing that seed everywhere around you. You wait a couple days, and you're telling your spouse, honey, it takes time, it takes time, you're throwing that seed, and it's just not growing, and finally, you just, you've had enough, and so you, you take your half-full bag of seed back up to the tractor supply, and there in the counter's this old crusty fella. He's wrinkly, he's got bifocals on, he's got a toothpick in his mouth, he's got a flannel shirt, a John Deere hat, and his boots are up on the counter. And you come up to him and you slam those seeds down on the counter and you say, I want a refund for these seeds. Something's wrong with them. He looks up at you and he says, how do you know it's the seed? And you say, well, what else could it be? Seed's the only thing it could be. And he says, well, <clears throat> tell me about your dirt. And you say, what's there to tell? It's dirt. He looks up at you and he says, well, there's your problem. And then he just starts reading the newspaper and ignores you. And you're furious about this. And then you look at his boots. And you notice that the soil, the dirt on his boots, does not look like the dirt in your field. And you think to yourself, oh, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. Like I said, this is a story about soil. 
And when life throws us curveballs, when those plants of life, those thorny plants grow up and try to choke the life out of us, when the birds of the air swoop in and try to, to peck the life out of us, what we are so prone to do as humans is to doubt the sower or to doubt the seed. Believing that one, if not both of those are insufficient. And that's what's so great about these Jesus stories is, is they, Jesus knows where we're coming from as humans. He knows that this is what we're going to do in those difficult moments. And so he starts the story with the sower scattering seed, those two things that we're so likely to doubt. But what he proves through the story or what he calls us to is that our gaze needs to shift from them to ourselves. You know, it's like maybe they are not the problem. Maybe the problem is in here. Or let me, let, me, let me ask you this question. I think this is the, the question this story begs us to ask. Here's the question. Is my soil producing the harvest I know his seed is capable of? So if the sower is not deficient and the seed is not deficient, and in this seed is the possibility for a harvest of 100 to 1. Is my soil producing that harvest? Isn't that question kind of just like, <gasps> like, Eric, we did not come here to hear hard questions like that. You're supposed to encourage us. Listen, I don't, I don't ask you that question to make you feel guilty. I ask you that question, one, because I think it's the question Jesus wants us to ask ourselves, but two, and this is why. I think when you ask yourself that question, that it unlocks this possibility in your life. You know, when you, maybe for the first time in your life, or maybe for the thousandth time in your life, when you look at yourself and you say, God, is my soil producing what your seed's capable of? God, if not, take my dirt, plow it, dig in it, till it, do whatever it takes in my soil, God, for this soil to produce the harvest that you want. I mean, can you imagine when you begin to look at yourself like that and beg that God will take the soil of the human heart, of your soul, that he will take that soil and produce his harvest in it? Can you imagine what is possible through you? The sower is not lacking anything. The seed is not lacking anything. They are full of power and that power is on offer to you. The God most high wants to plant that power in your soil so that through you, his harvest might be reaped. <clears throat> um, I'll finish with this story. There's a young man here at Highland. He's late 20s. He grew up at Highland. His, um, you know, he was a high schooler here at Highland, went through the youth group. And uh, he had a lot of fun in the youth group, but he'll tell you that at the time he cared more about baseball than <laughs> anything really happening here. Um, and then he, surprise, surprise, did not make it professional in baseball. And parents, I know that's hard to hear. But it just didn't pan out like he thought it would. So he goes to college, and I forget what he's studying. But about his senior year of college, something happens. 
Now, now remember, he's grown up here. And so the seed, the good news of Jesus Christ has been, has been scattered into his life for his whole life. It just hasn't really taken root. But something happens a senior of college. Older fella here, he's slightly older, a young dad, begins to disciple him. And what he's saying is the same thing this guy's been hearing his whole life. It's just that something has changed and that begins to take root in a way it never has. The seed isn't any different, but something about his soil has changed. And the good news of Jesus Christ just begins to fill his life. The roots begin to just go really deep in his life. And he's dating a girl at the time, totally transforms their dating relationship. They're now married. Her life has been changed because of this. They've got this beautiful young child. I mean, they just came alive for Jesus. Changed, totally changed his relationship with his girlfriend. And then he starts reaching out to Buster and Donnie and our youth ministers and Hannah. And he asks them if there are young men that he can disciple in our youth group. And so they, they, you know, give him a couple of young guys. And so he starts pouring into the lives of five or six guys every week, meeting with them, not saying anything magical, just passing on the word that's been handed to him about Jesus Christ and pouring it into the lives of those guys and their lives start to change. I had a conversation with one of those guys this week who said something that this fella said to him absolutely changed his life. Something he said about Jesus. He changes his major his senior year. He goes to work for Hope Works, which was a nonprofit that we partner with changing the lives of people here in Memphis. He goes to work for them and he now directs their prison program out at Shelby County Corrections, trying to help young guys change their life in prison. And the way he does that is he just focuses on the word of God. I mean, he brings in people to teach them finance stuff and to bring them teach them interviewing skills, but I've got to go in and watch him in prison, just pouring the word into these guys' lives day after day after day. And the thing about being in prison is it's really hard to tell what kind of soil you're working with. The guys have tattoos on their faces and stuff, and they'll break out in a fight in the middle of class and Sometimes you just look at him and you have no idea if that seed is taking root. But what I love about what he's been doing is he's just scattering the seed anyways. He can't control the soil. All he can do is scatter the seed. But shortly before the pandemic, a few months before I got to go and Shelby County Corrections has this little chapel and they wheeled into that little chapel, this little mobile baptistry. It was kind of like a a horse trough on steroids and they they fill it up with a hose with water it's cold and I got to watch this young guy this guy who I have seen over the last few years the seed the word of God take root and change his whole life I got to watch him baptize these four guys four hard rough looking guys were dipped down beneath the water in a horse trough they give themselves to Jesus. And I got to watch him lower them down and bring them back up. And when I watched that, I thought about this. That other seed fell into good soil and it bore fruit. And upon growing and increasing, that seed produced in one case a yield of 30 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 100 to 1. And he said, whoever has ears to listen should pay attention. Are you?
Are you paying attention? Don't you want your soil to produce that kind of harvest? Well, maybe you should ask God for that.